Hello, and welcome behind the scenes of the first ever BCN podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm the producer of today's session, and I'm joined by Bridget Flood, the Director of Strategy and Operations at the BCN. Bridget, hello. Hi, Sean. Hey, so Bridget, I'm super excited to be here with you today as the first host of the BCN podcast. So, hey, how are you feeling today? Are you excited? Are you nervous? What's going on? Sean, I'm super excited about today and today's podcast um, because, you know, the, this particular podcast is going to be everything about the 80s and what lessons we can still learn from those times and bring, bring it back to our workplace and our lives. And the reason why I'm really excited is I love everything about the 80s. Um, it's when I got my first real job and I started making real money and I rented my first real apartment. Um, so it's, I guess it's when I started my adult life. So everything that was happening to me, all my big first life events, that they were being shaped by those times. So um, yeah, I'm really excited because the 80s played a big part in my life. Well, hey, I am glad to hear that. And for our listeners, just to give you a little bit of a hint, our guest today is going to be an author and speaker um, and leadership expert, Chris Clues, who is a fanatic about the lessons that we learn from the movies and the television of the 1980s. So um, I'm super excited to be part mm -hmm. of this conversation as well. Um, hey, Bridget, um, given your love of the 80s, what's one trend from the 80s that you secretly wish would come back? <laughs> um, well, you know, when I think about what I was doing and wearing in the 80s, um, you know, I certainly had like big teased hair. I hope that never comes back, um, at least for myself. Um, and I definitely wore those clothes, those dynasty style shoulder pads when I went to work. I hope that doesn't come back. Um, and I wore, wore a lot of neon colors after work. Um, particularly fond of um, lime green, um, then I don't think I'd be wearing neon colors anymore. Um, but I loved roller skating, not rollerblading, but roller skating. And I roller skated everywhere with a big boom box. So, you know, I think roller skating um, was kind of cool. And I think we're still doing that today, only the rollerblades. But I think if I hit a point to one thing that changed my life, um, it was the Bee Gees, a new style of music, and it definitely was mixtapes. So, you know, no longer did I have to listen to a single artist and go through every single song on an album or cassette before I got to my favorite one. Mixtapes, now I could record all my favorite artists from my, um, and their my favorite songs on a single cassette. Um, that's the reason mixtapes. And we all had our, we all had our mixtapes. And I think they're the precursor to playlists. So um, yeah, I think I would point to that as, you know, not that I want that definitely to come back, but it has evolved into what we are all doing today, which is playlists. You know, Bridget, I love that, first of all, that you helped our audience who maybe didn't know what a mixtape was, understand that it relates to the modern playlist. And I guess I would say that um, I too 
um, have a love of the mixtape. And I don't think that uh, folks that have not had that experience of making a mixtape will ever know the panic of trying to hit record at the exact right time when the song came on the radio to capture the entire song. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm with you on, on the mixtape. I right. want to say, and, 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 and Bridget, I don't know if you remember this, but I think we were having a conversation with uh, Janie Schumacher, the executive director, and I think she may have shared that she owned a pair of parachute pants in the 80s. She did. Um, so um, I think that, uh, you know, there's definitely some nostalgia out there. Yep. So, so Bridget, I'm super excited to get started. Um, so how about we jump in and we bring Chris into this conversation and um, have a great dialogue? I think that's perfect. And I really, really am excited. Excellent. Well, everyone, here we go. Welcome to the first ever BCN podcast. I'm Bridget Flood, Director of Strategy and Operations at BCN, and I'm thrilled to be hosting today's conversation. This is a new endeavor for us, and we are looking forward to bringing together a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry leaders to share their perspectives, and more importantly, to create the value and insight for you our nurses across the emergency, transport, and trauma spectrum. Today, I'm really excited to have with us our inaugural guest, Chris Clues. Chris is an author, keynote speaker, and leadership expert who also happens to be obsessed with the movies and television of the 1980s. His most recent book is called The Series of What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. In addition, Chris has a distinguished career in marketing and advertising, most recently as a head of marketing for a division of DHL. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much. It's such a nice introduction, and I'm so honored to be the first guest on the podcast. We're going to have a blast today. I agree. And one of the things I'm most intrigued about is how you came to create this workplace and life lessons based on the pop cultural references of the 1980s. Yep, so great. I'd like to start there. That's a great question. And, and first I'd like to say just thank you, uh, everyone who's listening, um, for working so hard for us in the emergency departments across the country. It means so much to me and my family because I, I had a dad who had a heart transplant a few years ago. And so I know the, work that, the hard work that you do on a daily basis. And I spent a lot of time in the uh, emergency departments as a kid. Uh, so uh, I thank you very much, um, not just for now what you're doing with the craziness that's going on in, in, uh, in the world, but also just in general. Thank you so much. So I actually got started. Uh, I was in marketing, corporate marketing for a little over 20 years. And I, um, I, just, I, I was kind of in a job that I wasn't real happy with. I think we've kind of all been there at some point. And I came home one day, I was having a self-pity party of one. I lay down on my couch. I was watching The Breakfast Club, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And Bender, one of the characters in The Breakfast Club, says, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And I felt like I was in my imperfect place. And I kind of sat up and I thought, hmm, what, am I, what can I do with this? Because I am in an imperfect place. And I, I did love and I do love marketing. 
but I felt like there was something else out there for me. And so I thought about what I knew really well. I know 80s pop culture well. I know the business world well. And I put the two together and I created an article for LinkedIn called What the uh, Breakfast Club Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. And I put it out there on LinkedIn and people responded from all over the world. And I really thought, wow, this is pretty cool. So I did one on Ferris Bueller and work-life balance. And before you know it, I had this pretty good following. And so I self-published uh, a book on Amazon. By the way, anybody can self-publish. So if you're out there and you're thinking about writing your memoir or writing something about what it's like to be a nurse or what it's like in your, your, in your career, uh, you can self-publish. It's really easy to do. I did it. If I can do it, anyone can. And I published, self-published my first book, about 85 pages. So a really, really quick read. People responded. So I wrote a second one. And I got a publisher for that one. So that one's about 220 pages, more like a book, as the first one's more like Cliff Notes. For those of us that uh, went to high school or college, we know all about Cliff Notes. That's more of the first uh, book. And then after I published those two, I actually built a website and positioned myself as a speaker. I have a partner who's a, a manager, my manager, uh, Kristen Hager of the Hager Agency. And uh, she's helped me out over the last year to position myself as a speaker as well. And that's kind of where I am today. So that's that's really fascinating and i think especially about the passion part of it um because you know all of our nurses really have found their passion and it shows and it really shows because everyone has this story about them going to the emergency department or one of their loved ones and these nurses that take care of them um that passion just comes through so it's great to hear that you know, you found your passion. So yeah, I absolutely did. Yeah, <laughs> it, only took, this, it only took me 47 years, but I found it. <laughs> hey, you found it. So, um, you know, thinking about our audience now, which is made up of these emergency transport and trauma nurses, what lessons can you draw from the 80s that uh, might be most relevant to them? Sure. So I, there's a, there are quite a few, actually. And I think if I were to focus on kind of maybe, maybe we can focus on right now with things going on in the world with COVID and th that the, the, some of the lessons that may come from 80s pop culture and 80s movies that are very relevant to COVID right now. And uh, I think there's a couple of them right now. One, it would be from Back to the Future. And this one is about problem solving. I have two about problem solving, but this one about problem solving. And it's the idea of uh, when Doc Brown said, uh, don't worry, as long as you hit that wire with the connecting hook at precisely 88 miles per hour, the instant the lightning strikes the tower, everything will be fine. And I, I feel like that's kind of what it's felt like over the last few months for all of us, and maybe in particular for people on the front line, that it just feels like you have to thread a needle. And we don't know what that needle is. And we don't right. know what the thread is, but we have to thread it. And that's what all of us are feeling in our lives, but especially all of you on the front lines, I'm sure, can relate to that idea that, you know, he just said it so simply, like, this is all you have to do. Hit the connecting hook at 80 miles an hour, the instant lightning strikes the tower, everything will be fine. As if that was going to be really easy for, Mc, for Marty McFly. So uh, I think that that's one really valuable lesson from Back to the Future about the, the idea that it, it is possible. Um, sometimes it feels like it's not manageable. Sometimes it feels like uh, there's just no way that we can get it done uh, the way that we need to. But the, the reality is if you break it down in stages and that's kind of what I've done all my life, I've broken things down into phases or stages and uh, kind of like a, looking at it like um, you know, Magnum PI, so to speak. I, I think Magnum PI was a good, had a good kind of like he would go with his gut and he would say that little voice inside of me was telling me. So that's kind of how I've approached things. I think also 
Another one for this particular time right now that's really important uh, is the idea of how problem solvers don't come in a one-size-fits-all package. And we saw that in the movie, The Lost Boys, if you've ever seen that. It's a movie from uh, 1987. Yep. And so what was really cool about that and what I really think we're getting out of the last few months is I think all of us obviously have appreciated what everybody does on the front lines in healthcare. But I think there's a, there's a whole new approach to appreciation for some, for, for some over the last few months. For me, I've always had the appreciation, as I said at the beginning. But we're, now we're starting to see that idea that it's, not, it's, it's, it's the people on the front lines in healthcare, but it's also people working at the grocery store, your local Walmart or Target. Those people have been there every day from the beginning. And there's a line in my second book where I say one of the really great lessons that 80s movies brought in mass to the silver screen for the first time was that you didn't need a cape or an insane physical stature or Liam Neeson's particular set of skills to be a problem solver. And the Lost Boys showed us that. Here were two kids that worked in a comic book store, their parents' comic book store on the boardwalk. And no one would mistake them for the guys that were going to save the world, but ultimately they did. And they did that. They saved their town from the vampires that were um, all around it at the time. And they saved that the town over everybody else who had been trying to search for the solution to the problem. So they really showed us that problem solvers don't come in a one size fits all package. And I think that we're seeing that today. And then if I could throw one more out there, yeah, that I think is really important um, that's, that's for today as well, based on everything with COVID and it's from the outsiders. And if you've seen the movie, the outsiders, or if you've read the book, um, it really talks about two different groups of people. One, from the quote unquote wrong side of the tracks and one from the quote unquote right side of the tracks. But there's, a, there's kind of an underlying love story in the movie, The Outsiders as well. And the, the one kid pony boy is out on the back, his back porch in his area of town. And he's fallen in love with the girl who lives on the quote unquote right side of the tracks. But as he's looking out at the sunset, he says, it seemed funny to me that the sunset she saw from her patio and the one I saw from the back steps was the same one. Maybe the two different worlds we lived in weren't so different. We saw the same sunset. And I think there's a really important lesson in there for us right now, this idea of all of us being in there together, being in this together, albeit in different places, some on the front lines, like nurses, some behind the scenes, but all of us playing our part to get through this. And that bottom line is that we all do really see the same sunset. That, that's really great um, because I do think that in these times, really these healthcare workers um, are truly valuable. And you know, people like me were told, you go home because you can't really help us. So you're best at home. And we're gonna take this group of healthcare workers along with the truck driver and the bus driver and the store clerk. And they're the people that are gonna help us through this. And that was really kind of a great lesson to learn of one size doesn't fit all and really how valuable everyone is at certain points. Yep. So um, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, the other thing that I think is really important for nurses is to be resilient and um, teamwork. Can you talk about anything that we can draw from the 80s on that? Yeah, so uh, there's a number of different, I think there's a number of different uh, for team in terms of teamwork there are quite a few uh, to come, that come to mind. One would be Stand By Me, if you ever saw that movie, Stand yes. By Me, how these four kids came together, all very, very different, with one common goal. Uh, and they actually, you know, they actually reached their goal, but they were all very different. They came from different places and different families 
And we learn that throughout the, uh, the process of the movie. I also think that Ghostbusters obviously is a great one because the teamwork where here were three guys or four guys, three guys initially that had lost their jobs as professors and now we're trying to figure out what they were gonna do next. And then um, Winston Zeddemore comes along as the fourth Ghostbuster and the four of them together um, really have a lot of teamwork because remember they talk about how they're strapping this unlicensed nuclear reactor to their back. They have, and it's untested by them. So they have no idea what they're walking into. No one's ever seen anything like this before. So they're, they have to work as a team in order to be successful. Uh, I think Beverly Hills Cop has some great examples of teamwork. Uh, you have a, you know, the detective from Detroit who comes in the town and loses all of the tools that he would need to solve the crime but he works with these two other officers from Beverly Hills and they come together, three guys that didn't know each other and work together as a team to not only solve the one crime that he was going out there to look for, but solve a much larger crime, right. uh, crime ring that was happening in LA. And then I think you mentioned it when we talked in our pre-call, uh, The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Great teamwork, <laughs> obviously. And I look for teamwork examples. I mean, there are a lot of great sports movies where you see teams come together, but where I look for teamwork is what, what, where, where can I find characters that come from different backgrounds, different places, different families, and have different perspectives that all come together to solve a problem? Yeah, that's great. And I, I did like The Breakfast Club because they were people from different backgrounds. And for that period of time, they worked as a team to accomplish that day that they had to spend together. And then at the end of the day, they all got in their cars and went back to their life. And so you can work with teams from, um, you know, with different attributes and still go back to your regular life. But that yeah. team actually accomplishes something that you couldn't do by yourself. So that's, um, those are really important to bring up. And I think also, if I could point out that, you know, one of the things of the Breakfast Club that's great is you have a criminal, a princess, a brain, an athlete, and a basket case as the Breakfast Club so eloquently refers to themselves in the letter that they provide to Principal Vernon. Um, right. And so you have these five characters, but I think what's really cool about it is that all of us have probably been that character at one point or another, all five of those characters, at one point or another in our lives. It's a really good point. And so they are a team, but if you look at all five characters individually, think about different times in your life where you were probably one of those characters or, or, or more at a certain time in your life. And there's a great line by Andrew in The Breakfast Club, the jock who says that, you know, we're all pretty bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it. That's all. Right. And, uh, I love that line because I, I believe that completely. And then I think um, maybe the last topic I'd like to um, touch on is um, lifelong learning. You know, I think for all of us, but, you know, certainly our audience today, you really can't stop learning. And is there a particular movie or TV show that kind of highlights that? That's a very good question. Uh, so in terms of learning, I think that I would have to, I'd have to think about that a little bit in terms of character arcs, because that's really where you see the learning. You see a character at the beginning of the film, and by the end of the film, they are a different person. I, I might point to- What about uh, Karate Kid? The Karate Kid's a great example. I mean, yeah, obviously there's a lot of learning in the Karate Kid. That's, that's a really great example. I've looked at the Karate Kid in terms of workplace wellness and what Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel about uh, stress 
in how we can apply that to the workplace. I think the Karate Kid's a great example. I think there's a um, there's also a great movie. There's a great uh, movie called Can't Buy Me Love, which uh, where Patrick Dempsey, who became who may be known better as uh, in Grey's Anatomy, he was um, right Doctor McDreamy. Yeah. And so, uh, but he and Can't Buy Me Love, he was this kid, kind of a nerdy kid who really wanted to uh, go out with a girl that lived next door, but she was in the popular clique. And so he mows her lawn and does her landscaping, but then he actually pays her to date him. And he learns a really, you know, across uh, along the movie, he learns this really valuable lesson about how, you know, you can't really, you can't really buy friends. And he also learns that uh, along the way that you, you know, you're, you're, Sometimes the best thing to do is just, I mean, always the best thing to do is be yourself. And so he, he learns that along the way as well. But I think the Karate Kid's a great one. And um, that's probably one of the best in terms of lessons. Uh, I'm sorry, in terms of uh, continual learning. Yeah. And anything else from the Karate Kid that we could take from? Yeah. So I think there's a great workplace wellness one, uh, particularly for people who work in the emergency department. I would imagine I haven't worked there before, but as I said, I've been a patient. I was the kid who ate everything, everything he saw in front of him from the time I was about three to seven years old. So I spent a lot of time in uh, the emergency department. I'm imagining there's a lot of stress, particularly now. And there was a uh, great line by Mr. Miyagi where he was in his whole wax on, wax off scene with uh, Daniel's son. And he says, don't forget to breathe, very important. And there's a really valuable lesson in there, I believe where we think about the idea of stress. And mm. when we think about something, a task at work or someone at work who may stress us out and where we're relaxed and all of a sudden we feel that we're kind of grinding our teeth a bit, we're tightening up. And maybe we just kind of want to reach through a, the computer or something and, or we want to scream. And this is when, this is stress, right? This idea of don't forget to breathe, very important. And I, I feel like stress is like dehydration. By the time you realize you have it, it's too late. And for nurses, you may have treated people who had dehydration. I had a severe case of dehydration for some really stupid things I did throughout the course of the day. And if I would have looked back, it, there were so many signs to tell me, drink water, drink water, drink water. And I never did it. And I got severely dehydrated. The idea that stress is the same kind of way. We look back, stress kind of hits you all of a sudden and you have it. And then it takes several days sometimes emotionally and physically to get through that stress. We don't realize it, but we're still hanging on to it several days later. But if we would have looked back throughout that day, there may have been a sign. There may have been something where we just would have taken a step back and took a step back and said, just, I need to just breathe here for a second. And we breathe 17,000 to 30,000 times a day, I think, something like that. So breathing isn't difficult for us, but when it comes to actually taking a deep breath, and stepping back for a second, it seems to be really difficult for us to do. And I think Mr. Miyagi said, said it perfectly. Don't forget to breathe. Very important. That's a great lesson. Um, so thank you. Um, before we end this, I want to just have a few rapid fire questions. So what's the coolest moment you had since you started your journey? Yeah, the coolest moment. So I actually... <laughs> I've got four of them and I'll rapid fire them. But there were there was the first paid speaking gig that I had, which was really awesome. The first time somebody said, hey, yeah, we wanna pay you to come on stage and talk to our audience. That was a really exciting moment for me because that's what I've been driving towards. Right. I got a testimonial for my second book from Ed Saxon and you may not recognize the name off the top of your, off, off the bat, but Ed Saxon was the Academy Award-winning producer for The Silence of the Lambs, wow. which is one of my favorite 90s movies. 
And he gave me a great testimonial for my book, my second book, which was amazing for me. Uh, Diane Franklin, who was in 80s, who's now doing a lot of acting again, but in the 80s, she had a couple of really big roles. One was uh, Monique in Better Off Dead, if you ever yeah. saw that with John Cusack. She yeah. was also in The Last American Virgin. She was the main star, the, the main character in, in that movie as well. And then also in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Diane Franklin wrote the foreword for my second book, which was a really awesome moment for me. And then I think moderating panels for a Goonies reunion and MTV VJ reunion, I got to moderate panels for both of those. That was, those were really awesome moments for me as well. Those are really great moments. Um, so now moving to the movies, what was the most unexpected 80s movie to provide a work, where you found a workplace or life lesson in? Fast Times at Ridgemont High, hands down. Uh, there, there's three lessons in there and, uh, we could talk, we could do an entire podcast on the lessons and fast times, but, uh, the power of saying, I don't know in the workplace and how important it is to, you know, admit when you don't know, um, how we used to look at that as a sign of weakness and vulnerability, but it's actually a sign of strength and confidence. It's honest, mm -hmm. it's transparent. Um, we need to be able to not be afraid to say that because somebody else might have the answer, um, right there, especially if you're, you know, working on a team, right? Teamwork. Uh, making your workplace the coolest place to work. If you remember the whole, I, the whole scene about how he was trying to explain uh, American history to Mr. Hand and saying, you know, basically like if we don't get some cool rules pronto, we'll just be bogus too. Um, talking about, you know, coming from England to the U.S. And so uh, there's a really great lesson in there about the coolest place to work, making your workplace the coolest place to work. And then of course, making sure to buy lunch. When you buy lunch in the office, make sure to get enough for everyone. Right. That was, you know, <laughs> when he had the pizza. And uh, of course he didn't get to have any of it. So, yeah. Those are great. So finally, name a few underrated 80s movies that everyone should probably see. Yeah, so I have a number of them, but I'll just give you uh, three or four off the top of my head. Vision Quest would be one. Great movie with Matthew Modine. Uh, wrestling movie. Uh, great sports movie and a lot of great lessons in there. That, has, that one has some really great lessons about resilience. You asked me about res resilience earlier. Great lessons in resilience in Vision Quest. Three O'Clock High is another one about a kid who's trying to get out of a fight all day and one day he's he the bully's gonna says he's gonna fight him and there's nothing he can do about it and the entire day is him trying to get out of the fight uh my bodyguard not the whitney houston kevin costner my bodyguard but a 1980 adam baldwin uh really great movie uh way ahead of its time in terms of bullying um and staying on that theme lucas was way ahead of its time with that as well lucas had Corey haim really really young Corey haim and uh charlie sheen a young charlie sheen um really a lot of great actors and actresses in Lucas. Those four I would highly recommend as four underrated uh, 80s movies. Those are great. And I think it's gonna rain here this, um, this weekend. So now I have something to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I think um, if you don't mind, there was, I'd like to go back to the Breakfast Club just for a little bit because sure. people a lot of times ask me, what's your favorite 80s movie? And it's re really hard for me to, to say what my favorite 80s movie is because I kind of lumped them into genres. But I talk about the one that's most impactful to me and it was The Breakfast Club. And there are a lot of great life lessons in The Breakfast Club. And the reason that, I mean, I loved it because I was 15 when it came out and it was, I could see myself, the struggles that the kids were having were the same struggles that I was having. And so uh, what's really interesting about The Breakfast Club Last uh, July, I was at the grocery store with my buddy, a buddy and his girlfriend, and we were getting some stuff for 4th of July. And I had a Breakfast Club shirt on. 
And the girl who was bagging our groceries was 15 years old. And or, I'm sorry, I didn't know she was 15 at the time, but I found out later. She looks at my shirt and she says, hey, that's my favorite movie. My friends and I love that movie. And I said, wait a minute, how old are you? And she said, I'm 15. And I said, you're 15. Your favorite movie is The Breakfast Club, right? right? I was 15 when this movie came out. How would you know about this movie? And I was very, very curious. And, and I said, and why this movie? And she said, because it's real. We felt, we feel like those kids. They, they, they look like us. They have the same problems that we do. And the movies today don't show that. They show, you know, these kids that look 10 years older than them and they're driving $100,000 cars and their problems are very different than the problems that the kids are having. And right. so she said, we really related to the kids in The Breakfast Club and our fr my friends love The Breakfast Club and we love all of those John Hughes movies. And I thought that was such a cool moment for me because it was such an impactful movie for me going back 35 years. And to hear that now today it's still having an impact is just, it's awesome. Awesome. That is awesome, because I have to say that was one of my favorite movies in the 80s as well. Well, you know, thank you for bringing us back there. I think, you know, I also started my adult life in the 80s. My, you know, I was adulting at that point. And so they were pretty impactful for me as well. So I really appreciate you kind of sharing with us um, these, you know, workplace and life lessons. Based I on love that. it. I love doing it. It's my passion. I and, can tell. Uh, um, so, you, no. and talked, you and I talked the other day too, just uh, this, you talked about leadership and leadership lessons and you and I talked the other day. Do you mind if I just tell that Prince lesson really quickly? No, I would love that actually. <laughs> Cause I think that one was one that kind of stuck out for all of us. And uh, for those of you, hopefully most people know Prince the musician. And for me uh, growing up in the eighties, I know that a lot of people call Michael Jackson, the King of pop, and he can actually have that label but Prince was the king of music. Yeah. And I still believe to this day, he is still the king of music. If you look at all the things that he did and all the things he composed and he wrote and all the instruments he played, he is just amazing. And uh, he, in 1987, there was, a, there was an alt singer named Suzanne, Suzanne Vega. And she had a song called Left of Center that kind of got some popularity on the college stations and stuff. And then she came out with a song called My Name is Luca. And... This song about child abuse is a very serious song. My name is Luca. I live on the second floor. You may have heard this song before. Um, and so she basically, uh, she puts this song out. Prince hears it. And he's so moved by the song, and it's 1987, that he pens a handwritten note to her. And that note says, Dear Suzanne, Luca's the most compelling piece of music I've heard in a long time. There are no words to describe all the things I feel when I hear it. I thank God for you, Prince. And he got that handwritten note delivered to her. Remember 1987, digitally, there's nothing digitally you can send. It had to be delivered to her somehow, some way. He got it to her. And the reason we know he did is because in 2016, when, she when he passed away, she put it out on her social media to let people know the kind of guy Prince was behind the scenes. Because he didn't seek the media out when he did cool stuff like this. He just did it. And so he teaches us a really valuable lesson about leadership. And the idea that when rulers take the stage of success, they keep everybody below it. But when leaders get the, the stage of success, they share it with everybody else. They let people know when they're doing something great. And th that's what he did with her. And I put this lesson out on Twitter after I saw this note and Suzanne Vega liked it, which was really awesome for me, but it also validated how she felt when she got this note from Prince and this idea that even though he had the biggest stage in the world, he took the time to let somebody know, I see you. 
I see what you're doing and I think it's great. And this idea of encouragement doesn't cost a thing is a really important one with leadership because there's not, we can't always give raises and bonuses and promotions as leaders, but we can always give encouragement. And I think we miss that sometimes. And that handwritten note is really, really awesome. And I saw the nurse recognition kit that you guys have on the BCEN website. You know, these kind of things go a long way for people, particularly when you just feel like nobody's seeing you and no one's paying attention. So I think Prince teaches us one of the most valuable lessons I've ever seen when it comes to leadership and encouragement. I think that's excellent. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and it, you know, I think recognition doesn't even have to come from the leader. It can come from team members recognizing, you know, somebody in your team who just went out of their way to do something because recognition does go a really long way. Excellent point. Excellent point. It can come from anyone. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, so just before we end, I'd like to find out a little bit more about you as a speaker and maybe how these times have changed um, your presentations. Maybe we're in person and now are they more virtual? How can our audience find your book if they want to find out more? And, you know, where do they reach you? That's great. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, so it's really been interesting this time. Uh, I am doing quite a bit of virtual speaking. I spoke to Visa uh, last week a week and a half ago at their learning festival. So that was really awesome. And uh, virtual, virtual is great. Uh, I enjoy it. It's not the same as being on a physical stage. Obviously, you know, the energy that you can feel from the audience and the back and forth that you can have with people in person. And I'll, I'm excited for us to get back to that at some point when it's safe for everybody, of course. Uh, but right now, most of what I'm doing from a speaking perspective is virtual. So I also have my two books, uh, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace, and those are both on Amazon. And then I'm also, I also wrote a short story, uh, a recent nonfiction true story, short story, Coffee, Love, and a Cross-Country Road Trip, and I've been releasing those chapters on my website, which is chrisclues.com, C-H-R-I-S-C-L-E-W-S, chrisclues.com. And that's where you can find a lot of information on me. You can see videos from when I've um, spoken in the past. You can hear po other podcasts that I've done as well. You can read my short stories. You'll be able to see my, my two books as well and learn a little bit more about me and how I got to this point as well. I want to mention one other thing uh, that's really near and dear to my heart, and that is animal rescue. Uh, I donate a portion of the proceeds from my books and my speaking gigs to the SPCA I, SPCA International. Uh, animal rescue has been in my family forever. My grandmother taught us that. Um, she taught us a love for animals from a very young age and we've carried that on. And I was lucky enough to meet the director of the SPCA International a few years ago and we developed a relationship and I wanted to do something to give back. And so uh, that's where I do it. And so you'll see a little bit of that, uh, about that on my website as well, but that's a really important, uh, that's really important to me is, is rescue. I'm actually looking for another rescue dog right now. That's fascinating. Um, you know, I seem to learn more and more about you as I spend more time. And that's um, definitely a very wonderful part of what you do. So um, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And they can find me on Instagram. Uh, at uh, my, my Instagram is ChrisClues80s. Uh, Twitter, I was lucky enough to get at 80s pop culture. I have no idea how that was available, but it was 80s pop culture. And then Chris Clues on LinkedIn and Chris Clues on Facebook. So, um, yeah, I'm 
always excited to connect with new people. Thanks, Chris. So now I want to take a moment and, you know, Chris, thank you for joining us and being our inaugural podcast episode um, and providing us really with that kind of learn and laugh moment. Um, so thank you again, Chris. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. And thank you for everything that you do for all of us every single day, whether we're in a pandemic or everything is just groovy out there. We all appreciate what you're doing. I couldn't have said that better. Um, and for everyone, we hope you stay tuned as we continue this series and we bring you fresh and impactful speakers, content, and perspectives. And if any of you out there have an idea for an episode topic, please email me at bflood at bcen.org. And if you forget that, just email us at bcen at bcen.org. Either way, we'll get it. Um, so again, thank you, Chris, and thank you to our audience. And thank you for everything you do. And until next time. Stay rad, everybody. Bye.